Welcome in everyone. I am Divergent Thinking and this is my podcast. Dedicated to ADHD and autism, this will be a space to info dump on what's captured my special interests. On today's episode, we will take a short but meaningful look into the world of an undiagnosed ADHD existence. Disclaimer for my listeners, this channel is intended for mature audiences only. This podcast does discuss sensitive subjects pertaining to the lived experience of ADHD individuals such as trauma and ableism, but may not always reflect the lived experiences of everyone as a whole in the community. We urge you to listen to the voices of many and not just the voice of one. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or offer therapeutic services to anyone. If you like what you hear today, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for future shows. Thank you all for joining me into the world of divergent thinking, and feel free to reach me on TikTok at I am divergent thinking. That's with only one T. <laughs> Let's get into it. Big thoughts and a little body. This is how I would describe what it was like living as an undiagnosed dual-spectrum child. Were you at all like me? Or have you come to observe? It's okay. There's plenty of time to talk. I wasn't always this way, you know. Rocking back and forth in my chair, flapping my fingers while needing to get up and move every hour. I could sit and seem normal never truly paying attention unless you caught my interests. But I could blend in amongst the others. You could say, look at me, as I'd been directed to do so many times before, to hold direct eye contact, no matter how overwhelming it was. And I would, because you told me to. As a child, other children bored me. Not only could I not connect to them, but I didn't feel like I could truly fit in. Everyone had a best friend, almost spoken as if it were a competition on the playground, so why didn't I? Everyone had a safe person they could be besides. Why couldn't it have been me? When I was in a crowd, I was the quiet one lost in a sea of smiling faces staring blankly back at them. I didn't understand how everyone could be so happy. When it was one-on-one and I was interested and engaged, I was told I was too obsessive, too intense. I didn't understand what I'd done wrong and why they didn't want to talk to me anymore. When I laughed, I was too loud and suddenly, instead of everyone laughing with me, they laughed at me. Would I ever truly be enough for this artificial society that I'm forced to comply with. As adult as these thoughts sound, these are the quiet inner monologues of a child with a dual-spectrum diagnosis of ADHD and autism. I say dual-spectrum because ADHD is a spectrum disorder, And if you really want to understand autism, I cannot stress enough to become an expert in ADHD first, because you cannot have autism without it. And yes, if you're pedantic like me, the words I use today are 
bigger compared to when I was a child, but the thoughts, the value, the quality, the content behind my words is the same. There's a significant overlap between ADHD and autism, you know, and everything autism does has a finger to point back at ADHD. Not with a finger to blame, though sometimes it feels that way, but almost always in partnership, as if they were meant to protect each other. And yet, despite having graduated with a bachelor's in psychology and gone to grad school for my master's in counseling, then having to drop out because I was facing homelessness, it would still be more than 10 years after college that I would confront who I really am. Roughly eight years sitting across from my therapist, never knowing autism was sitting present at the table all along. I was what most people would call the gifted, burnt-out, talented child who, despite not having the same privileges as my peers, what I lacked in access to opportunity, I made up for with intelligence. I could never complete my homework or turn it in on time, constantly getting C's, D's, and F's on paper, no IEP or 504 to accommodate something so plainly in sight, yet seemingly invisible. But teachers would remark on how brilliant I was and how I made them feel special because I laughed at every joke they told. Even got one of those pity awards teachers give out for laughing every time. I was the first to raise my hand, engage appropriately with the subjects, and listen attentively until I couldn't anymore. Because math is boring, and you could have offered me a million dollars to master grammar. Still wouldn't have happened. I wish I could have joined the table, sitting in the far back of the classroom, getting extra tutoring instead of staring blankly at a piece of paper because I can't remember what you just told me for this stupid pop quiz. It was always science and nature that kept me grounded in the classroom. For the record, many odd years end up in fields such as psychology, sociology, anthropology, geology, oceanography, even acting in comedy. For me, it was the insatiable desire to answer why. Why is the world the way it is? How come we're in the society we live in? Yes, I want all the oobleck because I want to punch it. And it's hard, but it runs down my hand like slime. And tell me again about non-Newtonian fluids. And what are the ingredients again? The child that couldn't stop asking questions was the poster child who wouldn't apply themselves enough and were just so annoying. The questions never stopped. A child who just discovered why, but my words would eventually stop. And for a long time, I would just think. But speaking was just too painful. This was what I feel the first key indicator of how my autism went missing for so long. Masking behaviors. They're a funny thing. Trauma responses designed to instruct you on in how to lose yourself to behave like others. 
Don't make that joke. They won't laugh. You're not funny enough. Stop being so expressive. People will say you're all over the place. Don't do that thing where you randomly jerk your neck. It draws attention. Don't keep talking about that story. The person to your left just rolled their eyes as you caught your breath. Another one looked at her friend and made direct eye contact as you made that one comment. They were silently communicating something to each other, but their faces say more about what was unspoken than what was. I'm doing it again. Aren't I? I'm being too... different. I'm not good enough for them. Why do I keep trying to make friends if they treat me as though I'll never be valued? Remarkable how autistics are obsessed with rules. I wonder why. When it comes to nature versus nurture, nurture always has a hand to play, but because autistic traits are, are rooted in biology, people learn the hard way what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. Rigid rule orientation isn't always a trauma response, though trauma certainly magnifies it. It's an autistic trait, and many of us are born that way. I won't say all autistics, because... That would be disrespectful to the spectrum component, but therapizing and providing unconditional positive regard can only do so much in the face of biology. It helps. It can be transformative. But if the goal is to cure this element of trauma in an autistic, it's never going to work, my friend. As a child... If you are fortunate enough to receive an ADHD diagnosis, you may be labeled as the hyperactive type, the inattentive type, or the combined type. As we get older, those of us who experience the hyperactive component would eventually be made to realize that being hyperactive is socially unacceptable and neurotypical norms simply won't allow for it in a classroom. These classrooms are designed to train you to be in one place for eight hours a day as a factory laborer into adulthood. This is how we ended up with the modern school system, after all. This busyness of bodies that would be unacceptable in a seated environment would eventually lead to the anxiety disorders so many of us can relate to. And so, an inability to engage in busyness of body will eventually become busyness of mind. Intrusive thoughts racing to an invisible goalpost, and you become nervous, frantically wondering if you're lost in the race of reality or if the goalpost is even real. But because you're not where everyone else is, and you recognize you're not like them, you just keep running, hoping to catch up to your peers. But you never really do. <laughs> I have an autistic son. He displayed everything the doctors were trained to see in him as a child. He regressed in his language. He would stack things over and over again. And by ten months of age, he was walking on his toes. When he did learn to speak, he repeated the same thing over and over and over again. As a child, I too had regressed in, in math 
and remembered not being able to do subtractions after coming back from summer break. And I too had the repetitious thoughts. It wasn't just continual chatter about the rule book of life, as you're witnessing here today. It was also needing to rehearse conversations that had taken place over and over again. It was repeating someone's inflection and how they said something in my head over and over again. It was trying to understand what I said to make someone angry at me because I didn't get it. I was simply telling my truth. Why would people be so mad at me for being honest? Over and over again. I was doing the same things as a child that my son did. He just said it out loud. The externalized repetition is visibly autism, but the internalized goes missing. Another trait buried in the suppression of autistic existence. If only I could have articulated it. If only I knew then what I know now. If only someone safe enough had prompted me and asked. As a child of the 90s, however, autism in cisgendered girls just wasn't a thing. Back in the day, it was called Asperger's, and ingrained into it carried the Nazi ideology that Dr. Asperger used to segregate our people, forcing us to conform or die. His belief was that women couldn't have autism, which is why the medical industry is just now starting to catch up. Its oppression carries over into functional labels. These labels were meant as a reinforcer for oppression. For example, capitalism uses these labels as a means of assessing our capability of being exploited in the workforce. While in everyday use, people used it as a means of infantilization, or assuming that somehow every autistic is a genius. I don't understand how the psychiatric industry can continue to segregate us. I look at the dishes piled up, the, the clothes on the ground, and the, the mirror that needs wiping and realize, I struggle to function in my existence. There's no such thing as a high-functioning autistic, just autistic. During World War II, our people were brutally tortured, experimented on, and killed in hospitals because we, quote-unquote, lacked the cognitive capability that the Nazis were looking for. A shared history with the Down Syndrome community. And even so, our cynicism and lack of verbal filter allows us to challenge norms and state what's on our mind. I'm pretty sure challenging Nazi ideology during this time would land me a death sentence as well. Then again, a high volume of autistic women are social justice oriented. No filter blunt words. This was what I was routinely criticized for as a child. But it's a strength, you know? It's not that cynicism makes you a negative person or having a lack of filter means you're somehow not trustworthy. It means you see the world for what it is and speak its truth. This is something not everyone can handle. A deficit the neurotypical mind, perhaps, for those who need to live in a world of illusions.
Remember how I said ADHD is always present? Developmentally, the brain of a child with ADHD is known to grow at a slower rate in the prefrontal cortex, or the front region of the brain. This delays the mind's eye and the mind's voice. The ability to have hindsight and think about what we've done or said in the past, which governs our future-oriented behaviors. In other words, foresight. No wonder as autistics were perceived as rude in our ability to be blunt and forward and honest, why would we be capable of dancing these neurotypical norms of social intricacies of communication? Remember all these social norms, rules, and standards per person, per group, per employer, per geographical region. It's so much to handle. We spend a lot of time dwelling on it as a community anyway, that I struggle to meet an autistic person who isn't traumatized by society. This doesn't even include when we go nonverbal or speak through sign language. Those aren't our norms, nor is it our style of communication. When we share our lived experiences after we hear a story to try and relate, that's a neurodivergent style of communication. Info dumping and showing off our special interests and hyperfixations, that too is our style of communication. After a lifetime of shame for not being like everyone else, why would we want to? It seems to me that their style of communication just dampens our brilliance as a community. Because at the end of the day, we're just mirroring what the world presents, because it isn't safe enough to be authentic in a neurotypical world. At least, it wasn't safe for me, till I stopped caring about the needs of the culture of the oppressor. To my autistic family who's listening in, I just want to take a moment to clarify something since it's easy for us in our hyperliteral state to struggle to define the boundaries from time to time. When I said I stopped caring about the needs of the culture of the oppressor, I didn't state I stopped caring about neurotypical people, and nor do I mean it in a way where I turn a blind eye and act as if this oppression doesn't exist. It's just the social norms they blindly adhere to. I now openly challenge and no longer live in fear for challenging them. And I recognize this is a privilege. The colonialism, the heteronormativity, the whitewashed, ableist patriarchy that permeates a pro-Christian Americentric standard of what would be defined as a normal upbringing. I grew up hating the world and everyone in it believing that no one cared about me. So why should I care about them? The problem is I did care beneath the surface, or else I wouldn't have felt so alone. It wasn't the people that I didn't care for. It was the injustice so many blindly live by, because it was injustice that can serve as a platform of privilege. Their deficit isn't in an inability to care. They neurologically have the ability to do so, even though it certainly seems like they don't from time to time. It's in their inability to communicate with us and meet us where we're at 
a difference in love language of empathy that breaks down from us to them. They fear what is different, but then capitalize on neurodivergent culture. We spend so much time carefully clarifying language, making sure we know what someone meant to say, because it's been thrown in our faces that somehow we lack the ability to communicate. Funny enough, I think they have it backwards. We may, in fact, be better at it than they are, even in our nonverbal states. They just haven't been held accountable for meeting us where we're at. It's not as if we haven't tried, either. Many who received their childhood diagnosis of autism can recount the sensory rooms they were locked in, or being restrained in class, traumatizing our community even further in their lack of empathy and understanding. Weren't these autistic brothers and sisters and non-binary family members just trying to communicate what was going on before their actions were silenced? We aren't neurotypical, and neurotypical norms and institutions aren't always helpful. Why should allistics enforce the oppression of a puzzle piece onto us, reaffirming their belief that we're not quite human? Because in the world of ABA therapy, that's exactly what that puzzle piece stands for. Even if we didn't know on a cognitive level, we knew. We felt it in our bones. We felt it in the crushing weight of our existence and the depression that we carried daily. Why are holistics so afraid to talk to us, to relate to us? Is it because the truth makes them uncomfortable? As I said, the purpose of this podcast is a sounding board for my special interests, such as mental health and systemic oppression. I think these things all day, every day, chipping away at the meaning of existence like an egomaniacal philosopher looking to be the next great thinker to reinvent how God is dead, not because I seek to be a revolutionist, but because I literally don't understand the rule book that come so naturally, so inherently, to so many people. The thought of holistic change, however, one where we can universally learn to respect each other's boundaries as the first step towards healing, this is what comes as a byproduct. It's nothing new for me. It's why so many people are drawn to me. More importantly, I find that like attracts like. It's more often times that, as an autistic cis woman, I find the people closest to me are other autistics, diagnosed or otherwise. There have been times when I've genuinely messed up, though. The cultural norms of America seems to be the divide between narcissism and codependency to a society that thrives off of mental illness and how profitable it is. Or maybe... That's just the looking glass into the norms of what autistics face. We are often misdiagnosed for borderline personality disorder, after all. Expecting autistic women who struggle with social norms and 
relationships being made to be the caretakers of men in our lives who lack the ability to do their own healing, only to fail as a result of how our brains are made, then go into an autistic meltdown where we're told we're crazy. Yeah, a culture of gaslighting disabled people does seem narcissistic, doesn't it? Maybe I'm being too harsh. Painting people with a broad stroke and citing a, a minority of lived experiences and misrepresenting them as the norm. Maybe I'm isolating people too much with an us-versus-them mentality. Or maybe, just maybe, I've come to understand. The antidote to capitalism starts with health. Physical health, mental health, emotional, spiritual, and community. Maybe I'm not dividing people amongst each other, but simply stating what I see. A city divided amongst itself, and I'm simply calling it out, citing my authentic truths. And people may have a problem with that. Perhaps in talking about the traumas of colonialism and capitalism, I myself am capable of helping to create change, growth, even healing. Maybe my voice will help forge a new path. Who knows? I just know that I can't do it alone. The question is, who's willing to listen? To my neurodivergent family, if there's one thing I can leave you with, it's this. You are worthy and deserving of every good thing this world has to offer, not because you excel in certain areas or you have that one thing that makes you special. It's because you exist. The fact that you exist means that you are worth loving. You are worthy and deserving of every good thing this world has to offer, and you don't need to do anything. Just be. You don't need to justify your existence to people who don't understand you. You exist, and that's enough. My hope is that someday you'll find you're enough too. Thank you for tuning in to I Am Divergent Thinking. If you've liked this podcast, let me know so I know to keep going. Comments, questions, or ideas for future shows? Be sure to reach out to me on TikTok at I Am Divergent Thinking. That's only one T in Divergent Thinking. As the podcast continues to grow, future guests will be joining to discuss their existence and expertise within the realms of neurodivergency. Special thanks to TikToker at geo underscore anth for supporting me in today's episode. Don't forget to check out her merch in her channel. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in, and I hope to see you again soon. Mm -hmm.